Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be lifted up. Glory to God. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Hallelujah. It's so good to see you all here for midweek. I love midweek. I love coming in the the halfway marker, the halfway point of the week and getting filled up, getting the word, hanging out with you all. Godly fellowship is so needed. Not Matthew 9. Did I say Matthew 9? You are obedient, but you're incorrect. Um. And no one by the Spirit got that I was, that's just testing you. It should be John chapter 9, guys. John chapter 9. I'm sorry. John chapter 9. Okay, let's get this right. Maybe there's something in Matthew 9 we needed. Find out later. John chapter 9. It's all good, isn't it? It's all good. I'm sure there's something we could have carved out of there. But I'm going to go with where we've been studying, where we've been looking. John chapter 9 and verse 3, I'm going to start with. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, that the works of God should be revealed in him. In the, the Christian standard, It reads this way, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this came about so that God's words, God's works might be displayed in him. Verse 4 says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. He said, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. He's talking to his disciples. Because night is coming when no one can work. He goes on to say in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Of the world. In the Amplified, um, in verse 4, it, uh, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me and be busy with his business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. You have to understand something about light and darkness in the Bible. It's not just talking about literal light and literal darkness. Light 
is understanding or knowledge. And darkness is ignorance. Darkness refers to ignorance or refers to a lack of knowledge, right? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But light typically refers to an understanding. When the light comes on, that's where we... You know, we we even get our understanding that the light bulb went off, right? Now things are made clear. And this is the thing about when light shows up, light will always expose darkness. Light will expose darkness. There's been a lot of exposing that's happened, uh, you know, just in the last couple years, last 24 months, really. Um, A lot of exposure takes place. Um, and, uh, you know, some exposure for good, but a lot of exposure of recognizing where people are really at. You know, we say it all the time around here. You don't know what you have until you go through something. Crisis has a way of revealing what's really there, right? Everybody looks like they got it all together when you get the report you want and the money's in the account and, 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 you know, nobody's pressuring you. There's no pushback. There's no obstacles. There's no opposition, man. But when you get up under some crisis, when you get up under some pushback, when there's some opposition or obstacles that show up, now you find out what you're really made of, right? Um, you know, we, we see this a lot with athletes and athletics and sports, Um, you know, a a team looks real good in the preseason on paper, don't they? We always make, I mean, you know, we make such a big deal of, man, they, 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 they gave the contract to the number one guy and look at this stacked lineup and then they all get out and then they can't do nothing. And, you know, whatever it is, whether it's just, you know, a a talent issue or whether it's a, a chemistry issue, or a lot of times they just don't have what it takes to meet the opposition. You don't know what you have until we get into those moments and into these opportunities. I know many of you have endured or gone through or are going through and and there's a testing, but the testing is proving something. That's what you got to love about tests. We say it all the time. Tests are not designed to restrict you. Tests are designed to advance you. Can I get an amen, Mama Myrna? She's our Resident math teacher here at Anchor Faith Church, Lowndes High School, does an incredible job. And, uh, you know, her goal is to get them out of her class within one calendar year, within nine months. I'm not, I don't want to see you back in here next year. So I'm testing you to prove that you got, you acquired, you, you have what it takes to move on to the next level. To the, and guess what? There's another test there. And so this this crisis and these times of, for the church, we should be rejoicing in these moments because these are moments where we get tested to say, I got it. That's what we told people. Uh, You know, people ask us all the time, you know, uh, how how did you do this or how did you do that or what did you do in 2020 and 2020? We did the same thing we were doing in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 and 2019. All, all that came out is what we had been putting in. When life squeezes you, what's going to come out? Whatever's in there. And so uh, when we endure these times, there's an exposure that takes place. Light exposes darkness. Light reveals the darkness. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, we're going to have to 
be opportunistic. We're going to have to take advantage of the time we have because only for a short while is it daylight. What I want to encourage us with tonight is we need to recognize the moment we're in. We cannot miss this moment as a church. I said we cannot miss this moment as a church. This is not the the casual just show up and do our thing and check the box. We're going to have to recognize the moment that we're in. And there will be opportunities where they are calling for you to speak out. Almost daring you to speak out. Daring you to show up. Daring you to identify this is wrong and that is correct. These are the moments that the church has been waiting for. But if we're not careful we'll find ourselves on the sidelines rather than on the playing field. Jesus says, we've got to take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of us because there's coming a day where we will not be able to work. There's coming a day where our voice will be will, will speak things and it'll fall on deaf ears. And there will be no collection. There will be no redemption. There will be no uh, opportunity. It, it, it'll be, you know, you, you remember Jeremiah, the prophet? How'd you like his assignment? They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to respond, but I respond, but I just need you to go and be my mouthpiece so that I can say, I told you so. So that they are without excuse. That, that day is coming. And I think that day's closer than we think it is. But we have the opportunity now. Now, our words and our identifying and our speaking out is not for the purpose of condemnation. It's for the purpose of correction. Always. Always. This doesn't mean that we just get to show up in places and say, let me me tell you and show you everywhere you're blowing it and missing it. No, it's with the heart that wants to see people get it right. If you're ever addressing sin in a person without a value for the life that the sin is within, then you do not have the father's heart. You actually have the devil's heart because the devil will identify sin too. It's called condemnation and he'll beat you over the head with it and he'll make you feel shameful about it. You ever notice that the one that was encouraging you to do the sin, the moment you sin, he's the first one on your doorstep saying, You missed it again. You blew it again. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to be good enough. You're always going to struggle with this. Your dad struggled with it. Your grandfather struggled with it. Your great-grandfather struggled with it. And you're going to be just like them. You're never going to get over this. He's the first one right there, accuser of the brethren. So be careful in our speaking and in our words, which spirit are we of? Remember, Jesus had to do that with his disciples once. Well, let's just call down fire from heaven and burn them all up. And Jesus says, you don't know the spirit that you're of. You're partnering with the wrong spirit. When you partner with the Father's heart, you want to see that person redeemed. And don't say a word until you can see them living on your side. Yeah. Why? Because the wrong motive and the wrong heart will do the wrong action. It'll push them further away. Now, people will be pushed away from you just speaking truth. That's the case. (laughs) That that, that happens. That's going to, and Jesus had that in his ministry. That doesn't mean we stay silent. We have to make sure that our heart, our intent, our pursuit 
is the Father's heart to see them one with him. You know, when the, when the Lord ministered to Ananias, remember Ananias had the assignment of praying with and redeeming Saul, who would later become Paul. Remember that? After he had the con- conversion on the road to Damascus, you know, Ananias at first was a little, do you know who, do you know what he's been doing, God? You know what he's been up to? I mean, have you heard the news? He's pulling him right out of church and throwing him right into jail. He's beating him. He's killing him. He's handing them over. And you want me to do what? You want to do what with his life? Yeah, Ananias had that heart moment, just like you and I have to have that heart moment. When the light exposes, we have to be ready to respond as the father would. And before Ananias could be one to go and make a disciple, he had to become a disciple. Ananias had to make sure my heart's in alignment with the father. Otherwise, all I'm going to see is Saul the killer, not Paul the Christian, not Paul the believer not the one that's going to go and plant these churches and spread the gospel all over. Amen. So we've got to make sure there's work that we're doing on the inside because right now, you know, it could be easy to get angry. Frustration comes easy right now. Frustration at the degrees of sin and the degrees of depravity and the stuff that people are coming up with these days, it is so against what we know is truth. And we know that their lives are being lost. We know that they're going to end up separated from God for eternity. We know, but, but, but we can get so angry about the sin that we lose the passion and the love for the sinner, for the person. This is why the truth must be spoken in love. Truth doesn't have to be compromised to walk in love, and love doesn't have to be compromised to speak truth. We can have both. But, you know, when a coach corrects an athlete, hopefully the athlete doesn't see it as condemnation. There's that coach telling me how to run this play again. Why why is he always correcting me? He's correcting. He's coaching you. He's coming alongside saying, hey, you got to make this tweak. Got to make this adjustment. You're running here. You're going there. That's the wrong route. We're not doing this right. We're not. They're not coming in to condemn you and beat you over the head. But there is correction saying this is incorrect. We need to align it this way. This is the same thing the Holy Spirit does to us. But the Holy Spirit does it with a revealing of your future, not a reminding of your past. You see the difference. Conviction will reveal your future. Man, you got to get this right because there's so much more in store. Condemnation will remind you of your past. You blew it like you did here. You blew it like you did there. You blew it like like this happened. And you start bringing that up. That's how you can tell the difference. Is it the enemy? Because the Holy God will never use your past against you, especially a past that's been repented of. He can't. He literally can't bring up your past because he's forgotten it. (laughs) Amen. The Holy Spirit will always show up and say, man, there's so much more in store for you. We're going places. Your best days are ahead, but you got to lay this down. You got to get rid of this. So when this light shows up, the darkness gets revealed as well. 
when the light bulb comes on, when the light, when these works and these, these, this ministry is taking place, there's a darkness. And there is coming a time where the light won't be received any longer and darkness will be the, the way of life for people. And we already talked last week about how, or the week before, how did we get here? It was through tolerance. Tolerance is always the first step. That simple, innocent allowance. I, I, I saw this quote, it's from John Bevere. He had it online. And uh, he's talking about this matter of tolerance. He actually says this, Jesus warns the church in Thyatira against tolerance which was leading them into immorality and idolatry. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Our culture often confuses love and tolerance. The two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the other other person's good. Tolerance seeks to be thought of as good in another person's eyes. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. He says this, nowhere in scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. (laughs) Nowhere in scripture is this simple allowance and this simple tolerance. Well, who's tolerating? Well, you can't blame it on the world. That's all they know. They're of their father, the devil. Where's the tolerance happening? It's in the church. And not just within the church, but what we we refuse and refrain from speaking up about. It's the things that we don't want to identify. It's the things we don't want to call out. It's the things uh, that, 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 that we want to just let it slip on by the wayside. But right now, today, we are having to chop down trees because we refuse to uproot seeds. Today, we're dealing with mountains that began as little mounds. And we didn't want to disturb, and we didn't want to disrupt, and we didn't want to challenge, and we didn't want to be called out, and we didn't want to, you know, ruffle anyone's feathers, and so we didn't want to kick the, the mound down while we could, and now it's a massive mountain that's going to take some, a lot of work to get moved out of the way. Come on. This is what tolerance does. Tolerance uh, that, let me tell you something. Tolerance does not care about the other party. Just as he said, it cares more about you than it cares about them. I mean, think about it with a parent and a child. Behavior that you tolerate in your child, you are not helping them at all. You're doing them the greatest disservice possible. It's a disservice to them. But because we don't want to, we, we want to remain in that shell. We want to remain in that, well, we want to be accepted and we want to, and, and not only that, but when, when, you, when you start with tolerating, your motive is geared towards them accepting you. So then you start thinking of ways to be attractive to them. And the church did this. We found ourselves in this mode of, okay, the only way we can win them is if we look like them, sound like them, talk like them, play the music that they play and do the shows like they do and, 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 and all, the, all, all the things on down the line. And I'm not just here talking about practical methods, but a lot of our practical methods were with the intent, with the direct purpose. I want to get the sinner 
to want to sit in here. I'm tell you, let me tell you something that sinners want. Let's just go ahead and call it out. They want the glory of God more than you and I think they do. It's, a, it's attractive. It is attractive. Healings and miracles are attractive. Signs and wonders are attractive. The spirit of God in operation, it's attractive. But somehow we bought the lie that if we speak in tongues, prophesy, heal, deliver, set free, cast out demons, that that'll send them down the road, and that's the very thing they're looking for. And we replaced all things with comfortable chairs and coffee and lights and smoke and music and whatever else we, we, we could come up naturally with, again, with the intent that the only way I can reach the world is if I look just like them. And they're looking for something that's so drastically different than what they live in Monday through Saturday. And we had it. We have it. We have the very essence of God. That's attractive. I said, that's attractive. Let's stop buying the lie that the move of the spirit is unattractive to the, and it's just so we can get in here, have a party. No, it's not about a Holy Ghost party. It's about getting filled up so we have something to give them when we get out of here. It's like Brother Hagin used to say, you can run, you can dance, you can shout, you can wobble, you can fly, you can whatever. But when you get out there, you better be able to walk straight. But the move of God in here will fill us up so that we can change the world out there. And so, we have uh, ushered in, if you will, these ideas that we're just going to be able to sit back and have all the time in the world to minister, to reveal the works of God, to reveal the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, we better do these works while it's still light, while the, while the light's still there, because darkness is coming. Darkness is coming. So look at this in, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I mean, you know this. We've been talking about this for a while. We're talking about being intentional. <clears throat> We're talking about being intentional with what God has called us to do. And um, when we end up in an environment, as we said last time, that allows us to become complacent, lethargic, or apathetic, I've told you before that the enemy, that there, there are, there is a lot of activity that the church does that is no threat to a kingdom of darkness. Makes no difference. In fact, the enemy will allow it. The enemy will feed that religious activity. The enemy was in full support of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. In full support. Because he loves practice with no purpose. 
He loves practice with no heart. He loves just the casual going about with no real intensity in drive and intentionality. And those are the ones that easily get picked off. Those are the ones that fall by the wayside. Those are the ones that uh, Peter and Paul had to warn us about later on that fall from the faith. When we talk about falling away from the faith, we're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers. Paul said to the church in in, in Galatians, who has so easily bewitched you? Who has deceived you? So that that deception of thinking we're accomplishing something when we're really making no difference for the kingdom of God, that's the trap. That's, That's where the enemy is causing us to falter. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we've got to understand. Every measure of tolerance defies truth. Every measure of tolerance is chipping away little by little at the truth. At the truth of God's word. At the truth of what's right and what's wrong. This is how we end up in the confusion that we're in today. This is how we end up in in thinking that immorality is the right way to live. People are, are, are... going to town on how sinful can they be. And that's because what was tolerated chipped away at what literal truth, what the absolute truth was. And we begin questioning things that are basic, simple principles. How do we get there? Through tolerance. Now, we saw this, I believe it was the week before last, that the church is is to be the pillar and support of truth. It's up to us. The world is not going to know truth. You know, there's, there's a lot morally that is instinctual. Children know right from wrong, just instinctually. You don't have to be a Christian to know right from wrong. But where did the right and wrong come from? It comes from God. Now, people don't have to accept that, and they don't have to believe that. But at the end of the day, we know there's one true being, God, that has defined moral and immoral, right and wrong, up and down. And he's defined how the marriage ought to work and how our bodies ought to work and what, what this is supposed to look and what he, he, he put all that into motion. I don't have to even, I don't have to be a Christian to understand that. Because a lot of that ends up being instinctual. So how does that get chipped away? Tolerance. He says, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. A tolerance for the things that are not of God defies the things that are of God. And slowly but surely, it it becomes muddier and muddier, darker and darker 
harder and harder to see what is right and what is wrong. What is up and what is down. Even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, today we're, we're, we're being encouraged to accept things that make zero sense whatsoever. In fact, it's the opposite of how things were supposed to work. Every measure of tolerance begins to defy truth, dismiss truth. Verse 19 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now here he's talking about the world. He's not talking about the brethren. He's not talking about the believers. So this is what we know is not one person on this planet will be able to have the excuse why I just didn't know. It says right here, God has made it plain. You didn't even have to be a Christian to have it made plain to you. The way, the right way, the only way. He's made it plain. See, it's, it's what, what I love about the word of God, and that's what I love about the kingdom of God, is there, there's enough clarity to make it obvious and at the same time, there's, a, there's enough mystery to make it mysterious. Isn't that amazing? Like there's enough clarity. He says here, God has made it plain. There's enough there that's, man, this thing is obvious. It, it actually takes more work to disbelieve there is a God than it does to believe there is a God. You know how hard you have to work to not believe there's a God? You know how hard you have to work to believe some of the mess that's being pandered around today? You know how much work you have to go through? It's amazing the effort that people will go to to defy truth, to deny truth. Like, why do you put yourself through all that? Why not just believe what the Bible says? Why not just believe what is plain and obvious? Why not just believe what is already instinctually within you is what he's saying. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And again, God can show it to them because it's sourced from him. It comes from him. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, this is where it starts. Number one, they did not honor him as God. Number two, give thanks to him. And number three, they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Let's look at this verse real quick. For although they knew God, step one is they did not honor him as God. What makes the United States of America a Christian nation? What makes any nation a Christian nation? What defines that? Is it by the number of churches that we have? Is it defined by how many Christians per se or so we think are in a nation? What, what defines that? What defines that is the legislation in the ruling. That's what defines that. Do they use the Bible as the premise and the template upon which they put legislation and law and rule and order 
Is that how they instituted into a nation? And so what we have seen over the last, I mean, it's been taking place for a while, but at least within the last 75 to 100 years is we've seen a degradation of the moral compass and the moral value that the Bible aligns as biblical principle. We do not murder, not because we want to be nice to people and we want them to live, but because we acknowledge that that's one of the Ten Commandments, do not murder. That came out of the Bible. See, this is where people are trying to get us today is because they say that the church has no business in politics. Yes, it does. You don't even have a political structure unless there's first a Bible, unless there's first a God. And this is, the, this is why they want you and I silent is because we are the pillar in support of truth. We are the only ones that will uphold that compass. We are the only ones that will uphold that pattern and that principle and that template. And if you and I go dark, if you and I go silent, they end up in darkness and remain in ignorance. In feudal minds, darkened hearts. Didn't we just read about that in John chapter 9? Not Matthew chapter 9. Light and dark. But it all starts with no longer acknowledging. What do you think happens when they say we're taking prayer out of schools? Taking God out of schools? I don't remember who it was, but it was recent, within the last 8 to 10 years, that they wanted to take in God we trust off of stuff, off of our money and off of our courthouses. I mean, what are they trying to do? They're trying to remove every trace of God. And the first step, we did not honor him as God. Step one. You cannot dishonor God and receive his blessing. Blessed is the nation whose God is their Lord. And so we see that, we see those steps being taken, but it all starts with the lack of honor to who God is as king, as ruler, as creator of the universe, as the one that embodies everything that we believe and every pattern and every, every template that we follow. It all started with him, God the Father. Of course, the second one says you go on and you give thanks to him. Giving thanks to God is the greatest way to keep from selfishness. Because even though the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they honored God, they failed in their thanksgiving to God, and they began to view themselves higher and greater than they thought they, than they were. This is how you become a whitewashed tomb, is you put on the appearance of honoring God, but within your heart, what does he say? Their ma- their, with their mouths they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. Why? Because we might verbally acknowledge, but without the giving thanks, we're not internally acknowledging, recognizing who he is. What does that lead to? We do not honor him as God. We do not give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking. The thinking is always where it happens first. And that's the sad thing. Is the messed up stuff that we're seeing today, somebody thought about that. Somebody gave thought to that. 
somebody imagined, what if we did it this way? Before, it's like we say, you, you, don't, you don't just try it out and say, well, I think that might work. No, you, you thought on that. You were dwelling on that. That became an, an imagination in your mind that now in return you say, let's live that out. Whatever that is. Whatever darkness that is. If, if, if the thought life isn't ruled, if the mind isn't controlled and submitted to God, if it's not renewed like Romans 12 tells us, renew your minds, our lives don't stand a chance. Our behavior doesn't stand a chance. Our actions don't stand a chance. We have to work on the renewing of the mind. This is why uh, having an argument in the comment section of Instagram will not ever fix a situation. Because you're dealing with unrenewed minds, not just unrenewed lives. You don't change thinking in a comment section. You have to renew your mind to the word of God. And until we address it in the thought life, we'll never address it in our actual lives. Yep, he says, to become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So, Look what happens is the darker they get, the bolder they get. You know, it's like we've been saying, you know, when it comes to righteousness and the righteous, the righteous will stand all by themselves. The righteous don't need the majority. The righteous don't need a vote. The righteous don't need anyone to do it with them. But if you never have you ever noticed that sinners, immorality, it, it always comes in groups. It always comes in waves. You know why you won't see a lot of parades for righteousness? Because it's very sparse and very few. You'll see parades for unrighteousness. Hello? Because they'll gather in groups. They find each other. But the righteous, they're scattered. That doesn't mean, and look, God doesn't need a whole bunch. If you just look in the word, he just needs one righteous man to stand up and speak out. And one righteous person just standing up and speaking for righteousness can undo entire groups standing for unrighteousness. But claiming to be Wise, they became few. They became fools. Claiming to be wise that means arrogant. That means puffed up. That means prideful. That means that they're they're they they have a claim about them. Look, I have it all together. I'm telling you right now, they're they're going to claim that their darkness and their deprivation and their their the the, the sickness and the immorality. They're going to think that they're going to actually. Claim it as wise. Man's wisdom compared to God's wisdom. Man's wisdom cannot hold up. 
And we're going to have to be very careful in these last days. I think these are the days where we are going to have to be so trained to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because there will be times, just naturally speaking, it will look wise in the natural, but God needs needs us to do the opposite. It would be wise to remain silent. It would be wise to just go along. It would be wise to not do this. It would, and and there, you know, this is the tricky part: is there are people within the church, they will be the first ones to rise up when you try to stand up for righteousness, and they'll be the ones to call you out and say that we need to be peaceful. We need to be peacemakers. We don't need to be breeding division and hatred. I'm not saying that your your enemies are going to be outside the church. Some of them might be within the church. And they'll side with man's natural wisdom. I mean, we saw this a few years ago. We literally saw this happen. I mean, we we didn't get a lot of it. Uh, we, We didn't get hardly at all. But I know of churches that, you know, didn't close their doors or opened their doors rather quickly. And you know who they heard from being called out as the killers and you're going to kill everybody in your congregation and, and, you know, all this other, you need to be listening to your authorities, people in other churches, believers calling them out, not even the world. It's going to be things like this in these days ahead where the church is going to have to enact its boldness and enact its courage because when you start going against the flow of man's natural wisdom, not just, not just natural reasoning and not just natural understanding, but going against their natural wisdom of what they believe is the right thing to do, it's going to bring that opposition. It's going to bring that pushback. But claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged, verse 23, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God is a merciful God. Absolutely, he is. But that doesn't mean that we still don't recognize that punishment and penalty is due. God can step in. But when he steps in, understand that the mercy doesn't mean that he's excusing it. Do we understand that? He's not excusing the act. But today, we, 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 we've got a church today that, that uses God's mercy and God's grace as permission, acceptance, and tolerance. 
rather than recognizing this is the due penalty. This is the due punishment. When we live outside the code of God's word, when we live outside the understanding, well, God is love. Absolutely, he's love. So he made a way that you don't have to live bound to that anymore. How loving is that? That's about as loving as you can get. Not just a love that keeps you from the penalty of sin, a love that keeps you from the power of sin. You see the difference? I don't just love God because he steps in and steps in between me and the penalty every single time. I love God because he created a way that I don't have to live subjected to the sin that would bring the penalty on my life. That's way different. He loves you so much that he made a way for you not to have to live that way and live in bondage any longer, live subjected to that issue any longer. Again, you know, I, I've said this before, but if we, if we operated as natural parents the way we think God operates as a father, many of us would be sent, our, our kids would be removed from our homes. <laughs> Let's just start there. A parent that always steps in between their child and the punishment for their behavior is what? Doing them a disservice. Would y'all agree with that? I know that we hate to see our children have to go through the penalty or the punishment of something when they do wrong. And we hate even being the ones that have to bring on the penalty or the punishment. I don't get pleasure out of spanking my children or taking things away from them, but what? They've got to learn. Imagine if I always stepped in between myself and Camden every time he messed up. Imagine that. What's it going to be when he's 18, 20, 22? He's going to be worthless. He's going to be a worthless husband. He's going to be a worthless dad. He's going to be a worthless employee. He's going to be a worthless student. But yet we think God does that with us. Let me, let me get in between here. I don't want that penalty to get on you. No. Mercy is delayed wrath. We got to understand these things. How do we end up with the exchanging the truth about God? How do we end up with ignoring the obvious? He's plainly made himself known. He's plainly revealed himself to man. How do we end up there? Because we accept things like, well, he's not going to penalize me, or there's grace, or there's forgiveness, or there's this, or there's that. No, there's a due penalty. It's just better just to, to just to be in the will of God and follow his word. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You know, it, it, it would be an interesting study if you went throughout the word, even in the New Testament, we're in the New Testament. If you went throughout the word and find out how many times it says, and they gave them up to, God gave them up to, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You, it, it would surprise you how many times we're not running to the rescue every single time. 
It would surprise you if you counted how many times in the New Testament, just the New Testament, how many times that someone has gone so far. The New King James, or I think the, the King James for sure, calls this individual a reprobate. Meaning what? They have far surpassed the, the searing of the consciousness. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. There's no desire for the things of God. We're talking about cases, guys, that not even God. Many times, um, how can I say it? Many times, we end up in cases so bad where disconnection is necessary for restoration. Does that make sense? We've never had to do it. We've never had to do it in our church in, in 11 years, thank God. But if it came down to it that someone was unresponsive to the word, continued to live outside of the word of God, and even brought themselves to a place where they were discouraging or disrupting the flock, we'll send them down the road. Not because we hate people, we want to kick them out, and we just want righteous, perfect people in here, but because there has come to, you have brought yourself to a point where you are no longer responsive to the correction of God's word. And Paul even said in 1 Corinthians, he said, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, hoping that that measure will bring him to full restoration. I know, you, we don't talk about these things in church. We just, we just talk about going after the one and leaving the 99. And I, I know, we, we talk about the prodigal son. He let the prodigal son go, guys. He didn't chase him down either, guys. He didn't show up at the pig pen. I'm right here with you whenever you're ready. Come on home. No care packages. Oh, you spent all your inheritance here. I'll give you a little bit more. Because I love you. Guys, he wasn't going after him. The, he, that young man had to make a turn back. And you know what? When he made the turn back, the father went to him and embraced him. But the father ran after him when he ran back home. Follow the storyline and let's stop singing songs and writing songs and telling the story incorrectly and putting an image of God that is not, is not there. He desires that none perish, no, not one. But sometimes the measures to restoration and the measures to seeing people corrected and the measures to seeing people restored is more than the church sometimes is willing to do. I, I've told y'all the story before, but I, you know, Pastor Daryl tells the story all the time of an individual in his church got caught in immorality, was on staff with him, and 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 the guy came in crying, he was ready to fire him, and and and, and God told Pastor Daryl, you need to let him go. Doesn't need to be on staff. Well. Pastor Darrell saw his tears and saw his weeping and his crying. And he said, man, I, I, I'll give you another chance. Did it again. This time it split the church. Pastor Darrell said, but, but he went to God. He says, God, I was merciful. I gave him another opportunity. Why, why would this happen? He says, I wasn't even giving him another opportunity. Why would you override that? 
you tried to do something I wasn't even trying to do. The step for his restoration was being let go. That was the step, and you try to avoid that step in a good-hearted, we love you, and we want to see you get it right, and we don't want to see you punished. Or we don't. There's penalty, and there's punishment. We started off this whole thing in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We skip these things, and then we wonder why we're not winning the world. We skip these things and we wonder why they're, they're, they're not coming to Christ. We, 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 we glance over and we skip these processes that God has. God knows how to deliver. He's pretty good at it. God knows how to redeem. He's the best at it. He can redeem the, bro, I mean, the most broken situation. Anybody been redeemed from something that you thought was unredeemable? Come on. Absolutely. He's good at it. Let's just follow his plan. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is not supposed to be a dark message. This is supposed to help us understand the redemptive power of what God can do, but not through a church that wants to circumvent what true restoration looks like. Not through a church that is going to sit back in the light. And then when the darkness comes and the light can no longer work and, the, and, the, and they're not going to hear us. If we let them get so dark, they're not going to hear our voice any longer. We're not going to be able to baby the world into salvation. We're not going to be able to come. We're going to have to show them a God that loves them so tremendously that he made a way out of the pit that they're in. Not an allowance, not a keeping in. There's got to be a full understanding that, man, God has drawn the line. And, and, and if that brings pushback, if that brings opposition, if that brings obstacles even from within, we've got to stay with the word of God. He's got a plan. He's made it plain. He's made it plain. You know, I, 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 I know that there's a lot that will say, well, the reason why I'm not in church or I don't follow God is because of Christians. I get that. Nobody likes a hypocrite. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to stand before Jesus. You're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, well, that whole church down there, they weren't doing it right. It's not going to work. Everyone's going to be held accountable. Everyone's going to have to stand for their, for what they knew, what they saw. It's not going to work as an excuse. He says no one will have excuse. No one will be, no one will be able to go to the throne with an excuse of this is why I did not enter your kingdom. So we need to understand our role. We need to understand when we need to speak up, what we need to speak up about, what demands our voice. 
Guys, our voice as a church is the most powerful thing we have. Yes, your actions are important. But don't don't use the whole, well, actions speak louder than words. I'm not going to say nothing. They can just watch how I live. No, there's a time where we're going to have to declare some things, speak some things, and speak out against some things. Because they are downright in God's face denying who he is. And unless the church speak up, unless the church be the pillar and support of truth, truth is compromised. Truth is continually being dismissed and defied. You and I have an important part to play. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.